All right, take your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Now, we will read verses 1 through 8. However, um, our verse tonight will be solely focused on verse number 8. The Bible says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, we spoke last week specifically on the fact that there are certain things that Christians ought not to struggle with. Remember, we mentioned how the term mortify that we find in verse number five, specifically and in a very literal sense, means dead. It is the same word we get the word corpse from. Mortify your, these, your members to these things. And so verse 5 is not a list of things that Christians ought to struggle against but be victorious in. Actually, verse 5 is a list of things that Christians should no longer have interest in. They should no longer partake in. They should be victorious overcomers in those things. And verse number 8 and 9 would be the things that we would have to check ourselves daily on. What are the things that we were to completely die to? Well, we were to die to fornication, uncleanness, which was a, a, a extravagance of living, a wastefulness that we talked about, uh, inordinate affection, constantly wanting wrong things, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now those things are dead to us. Our members ought not have any desire, ought not want to do those things, for we grieve the Holy Spirit when we do those things. So verse 5, we, we should have somewhat an understanding. We ought to be victorious in these things. Now verse 8 was a whole nother story. In fact, the way verse 8 starts off, it tells us that, but now ye also put off all these things. You notice the difference in the terminology there in verse 5? Verse 5 was what? Mortify. Kill. Execute, you could even say. But verse number 8 doesn't use such strong language, does it? It uses the term put off. The best way that I can give you the idea of what the Bible is talking about here is I recently heard a story of a man who owns a bed bug removal service. He's living day to day is to get hired by people and this person specifically uh, specializes in entire apartment complexes or buildings. And his job is to go into these apartment complexes 
and remove the bed bugs that are present. Now, it's interesting the way that this man accomplishes this. As I've heard the story recited to me, I will recite it to you. He has these enormous heaters that are capable of heating rooms up exceedingly hot. And so all day long, he goes into these buildings as people have vacated. He removes all the sheets, all, all any type of linens that might be in the room there. And he puts these heaters in the room and he closes the door and turns the heater on. Now the room must maintain or reach a certain temperature for a certain duration of time in order to assure that every bed bug was killed. Okay, that's his job. Sounds pretty wonderful, doesn't it? You, any of you accountants thinking about doing that? Uh, no, I didn't think so. Okay, so that's his job. But I found this part of his job more interesting. Obviously, he deals in a very dirty type of profession. He has to go into places that ha- are infected by certain things that he wouldn't want his own home infected by. And so the way that he assures or ensures that his home is not infected by bed bugs is very interesting. All day long he wears a white jumpsuit because the bed bugs show up the best on solid white. So he wears a white jumpsuit, puts white uh, covers over his feet. He is from head to toe masked out, almost like a hazmat unit if you can imagine that. But every night when he comes home from work, you know what he has to do? He doesn't throw his clothes into the washer. No. He has to boil his clothes every night. That's the only way to ensure, as we stated earlier, the bed bugs have to reach a certain temperature for a certain duration of time. And the only way he can ensure that his home is not infected by the thing that he's removing from other people's homes is to boil his clothes daily. Now you, know what he would, now, you know what would happen if he missed a day on boiling his clothes and he just brought them right in the house? Well, there's a chance he could get infected. His home could then be the one in need of his services, right? Well, these dirty delights of the devil are exactly the same. They infect our home if we do not daily put them off and make sure that our life is clean and free of these deeds. So first of all, what is the first delight of the devil? Well, number one is anger. And we spoke for a short time last week on anger, but I do believe there's enough material here to merit us staying in it a little bit longer. I want you to take your Bibles to the book of James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And we stated last week that anger is not something that is inherently wrong, right? Anger is okay. That's why the Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. If the Bible didn't want us to ever get angry, the Bible would say, don't be angry. Or be ye not angry in King James English, right? So we know that being angry is not necessarily the issue. The Bible tells us that our Lord Jesus got angry uh, at the Pharisees for the hardness of their hearts when it came to spiritual matters. He was angry at that. And so anger is not the issue. So how can we have an anger that is not overwhelming to us? Well, James chapter 1 verse 19 is the best passage that I know of to help us understand this. The Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. 
For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Now you may be saying, well, Brother Andrew, this isn't dealing with wrath, this is dealing with anger. Actually, the word anger in our passage is the exact same Greek word that's used in this passage. Did you know that? The word is actually orge, and it means anger. And in fact, in a very literal sense, it means the natural disposition that is prepossessed to go towards anger. In, in essence, it's saying somebody who is naturally bent towards anger. When somebody says something that they don't necessarily mean offensively, that person just is very quick to anger. And so that's what the Bible's talking about. And the Bible here tells us that anger does not work the righteousness of God in our lives. So obviously the goal of every Christian is what? To be more like our Savior, right? We are to become like our Savior. We are to look like Him, act like Him, walk like Him, extend His love to everyone around us. But we cannot do that if anger is our attitude constantly. It's a habitual attitude, this term anger. It's something that is constantly on your mind. But be very clear, it's not something that maybe others can notice. See, there are two types mentioned here in our passage. There's anger and there's wrath. This this word and this term anger is speaking of an inward anger, an attitude. Something that you get angry over, but maybe your wife doesn't know, maybe your friends don't know, but inwardly... It is a problem for you. It's constantly abiding on the negative. It is a problem. So how can we avoid this? If we're to put off daily the anger in our lives, well, I believe James chapter 1, verse 19 tells us two tips to get rid of this type of anger. First of all, be ready to extend understanding. Look in verse 19. The Bible says, Let every man be swift to what? Hear. Here's a a real problem that Christians have is we oftentimes never hear the other side of the story before we get angry. And that's why this passage says, let every man be swift to hear. My mama put it like this. God gave you two ears and one mouth so you can listen twice as much as you can speak. Just about every teacher I had from kindergarten on up told me, God gave you two ears and one mouth so you can listen twice as much as you can speak. And that's what the Bible's saying. Instead of flying off of the rails and even on an inward level getting angry at somebody, be ready to extend understanding to their reasoning and their explanation. Oftentimes we don't offer that courtesy to everyone. But I want you, if you take notes or if you write in your Bible, write these three references down. Proverbs 19 verse 11. Proverbs 19 verse 11. The Bible says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. In other words, that man wants to get angry, but he defers it and he puts it off. And it is his glory to pass over a transgression. So while there may be reason to get angry, you, don't, you aren't naturally possessed to go there firsthand. Uh, Proverbs 14.29, the Bible says, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. So we ought not be bent to get angry at the first time somebody upsets us. Finally, Proverbs 15, verse 8. 
Proverbs 15, verse 8. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Now in every one of these passages, the Bible does not say never get angry. But it says be slow to get there if you're going to get there. In fact, the Bible, and this is Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22 says this. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother, notice this, without cause shall be in danger of judgment. So did you know there is a time where you may say something to me where I can justly say, I'm angry about that. That hurt me. I'm angry at that. Okay, so there's a time. But here's the issue. We don't find out the cause. And we don't ever hear the cause. Because we never listen. We never extend understanding. We never say to the other person, Hey, what happened there? I don't want this relationship to deteriorate. What happened that made you say that or made you do that? What happened? And so we have to be very ready to hear. So we have to be ready to extend understanding. Secondly, we must be regulated in the way that you speak. The Bible says in verse 19, Be swift to hear, but what? Slow to speak. Now, we are all pretty good at speaking, even of those of us that don't like to do it publicly. <laughs> I've heard people say, I ask teenagers to preach, but will, will, will you preach for a youth hour? Oh, I, don't, I can't stand in front of people. And then you look at the kid at a ball game, and they're like, let's go Rangers! It's like, well, there's 30,000 people here, and you're speaking in front of them. But I, I understand what they're saying, but we're all pretty good at speaking, right? And especially in settings where we're very comfortable. Some of us are very comfortable around a dinner table. Some of us are very comfortable at a setting with our girlfriends or, or with our guy friends. We're willing to say things at those settings we would not generally say out in front of other people. We have to be careful how we speak. And we have to be very careful how we react in a certain situation. That's why the Bible says be swift to hear and slow to speak. I like what my dad says. He's taught me this, and he's taught it from the pulpit. But he says, be careful of the words uh, that you say. Keep them soft and sweet, because you never know from day to to day to day which ones you'll have to eat. And I believe that. I've read on the back of a bumper sticker, there's only two things in this world you can't take back, and that's the bullet shot from your gun and the words that come out of your mouth. And we have to be careful about some of the hurtful things that we may say. And let me just say this, especially in confrontation. Now, I'm a person who actually revels in confrontation. It doesn't bother me at all. I don't mind it. I can deal with confrontation. In fact, I'd rather deal with confrontation and just enjoy the, the, the happy makeup time, as preacher put it, uh, afterward. But I, I, I can deal with confrontation. Now, my wife, oh, she, oh, she doesn't want confrontation, right? I don't mind confrontation, but I've learned one thing about confrontation. It will make people say and do things they would never otherwise say. In a, in a gunfight, you use any ammunition you can find. And so even things that may not even be true, things that we've heard through the rumor mill, things we've read on Facebook, we just start throwing them at our opponent in that situation. And that does not honor God at all. Be swift to hear and slow to speak. Some of the things that people say, they live to regret 
later on in their life. Relationships that are totally dismantled and destroyed because people said something they really didn't even mean in the first place. Be careful what you say. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 11, A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. Did you know that you don't have to say everything that comes in your mind? It took me a long time to learn that. I was in school, man, and the teacher would say, you be quiet. You be quiet. (laughs) That doesn't always have to be said. Did you know you can think it in your mind and not necessarily say it? The Bible says here, a fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in until afterward. Until the coast is cleared and the, and the, the heat of the battle has somewhat settled down. The Bible says, and I call this the pillow effect. Proverbs 15 verse 1, mark it down if you want to. A soft answer turneth away wrath. It's the pillow effect. Man, everybody loves putting their head on the pillow at night. And that's what a soft answer does. It embraces others' rage and it makes the setting much more comfortable. The other day I was watching a television show. It's highly educational and highly motivational and very spiritual. It's called Mythbusters. How many of you have ever heard of that show? Okay, good. Mythbusters. And this was the myth that they were trying to disprove on this episode. And maybe you'll find this interesting. Have you ever seen in a, in a movie somebody shoot a hole in a gas tank or somebody shoot a hole in a gas truck and it leaks fuel out of the truck and the fuel drives on down the road like a mile or so and then the hero of the movie drops his cigarette. Uh, 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 it's, a, it's an e-cigarette though, not, not one of those dirty ones, but... Uh, <laughs> He drops his cigarette on the the gasoline line there that was created. And that line follows the truck. And maybe the bad guy's in the truck. And he's trying to get away. And he thinks he's got away. Only to have the truck explode in this huge, glorious explosion just for your entertainment. How many of y'all have ever seen anything like that? Some of you are like, I only watch westerns and horses don't run on gas. Yeah, okay, sure, sure. Right? So that was the myth. They were trying to see if it was real or not. And this was their conclusion. Gasoline, or or fire rather, doesn't burn gasoline. Dad, Dad, you're so smart. Look at you. This guy already knows the, the sermon. Gasoline is not what is burned by a flame. It's the fumes. And so in other words... The farther away from the truck or the tanker or the output of the flow of gasoline, the more the fumes have a chance to expand and the slower moving the fire. Now stay with me. A truck could be 50 feet in front of the flame and the flame would just very, very slowly go. But the closer that the flame got to the truck, the faster it went, to the point that they almost caught their truck on fire when it got too close, because it went up and actually burned into their tank. So what in, in, this is the application. The closer you are to the fire, the quicker things burn. Not necessarily because of the gasoline, but because of the situation. The fumes that are caused. So as... We're in the middle of a heated discussion. What happens is in those moments where the fumes are flying everywhere, that's when the flame ignites. 
but a soft answer would turn that wrath away. And that's why the Bible says that a wise man keepeth his thoughts in check until after the heat of the moment. If someone approaches you and says, Brother Creamer, I just don't like the way you, you, you handled yourself in the children's church. You say, you know what, I'll take that under advisement. I'll go pray about that. Let's have dinner later on this week. Let the, let the moment... You buy, obviously, Jerry, because it's your fault. I mean, y'all wouldn't be having the conversation if... Right? Just don't allow heated, tense moments. Amen. You ever seen a pa- basketball player? Or, for instance, Rugnit Odor? I don't know. Let's say, get in the heat of the moment and do something. And you're like, oh, awesome! Right? You ever seen that? Athletes do things they would never otherwise do. How many of y'all remember the Boston Celtics brawl where... NBA players, seven foot tall, 2% body fat, are jumping in the stands after white guys that are four foot three drinking beer threw it on them. And they're punching these guys in the face. In heated moments, you'll do something you would never do before. You know why? Anger. And you're prepossessed to go there because it's a constant, habitual attitude. I do believe, though, that we have to understand the clear difference between anger and wrath. Here in our passage, go back to where we were in Colossians chapter 3. The Bible would not use the same word or a different word that means the exact same thing twice. It doesn't make any sense. So the Bible says in Colossians 3 verse 8, But now ye also put off all these anger and wrath. These two are so similar, and yet there is one distinct difference. You want to know what it is? It's like this. How many of you have ever boiled water? And that water in that container gets hot. But if you allow the water to get hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter, eventually your water will boil over. There's the difference. One is boiling water. One is water that boils over. The Bible here uses the word wrath. In fact, it's a different word as our first word was orge. Now this word is thymos. It is passion. It is angry. It is heat. Anger for with boiling over. Now, you don't have to write all these down, but I'll give you a few examples of when God was not angry, but He was wrathful. Okay? Here's a few. Uh, Romans 1, verse 18. John 3, 36. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Isaiah 26, 21. Revelation 20, verse 15. Revelation 19, verse 11 through 21. Ezekiel 25, 17. Nahum 1, 2 through 6. Uh, and Psalm 75, 8. And that's just to name a few. Look here in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 6. In our own text, the Bible speaks of the wrath of God being poured out. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Now, some may say, well, Brother Andrew, if God gets wrathful, I can. That's not true. You're not God. And just because God can do certain things doesn't mean you can. When you can love everybody unconditionally, then you can be wrathful. But unfortunately, we are limited. And there are certain things that we cannot do, and there are certain ways that God's wrath is very different than the wrath that we oftentimes pour over. First of all, the way it is different is God's wrath is concentrated. You want to know what God gets angry at? Verse number 5 tells us, 
wickedness, evil. Not because somebody cut them off on I-35. You see the difference? God's wrath is pointed. It is targeted. He is so much love, but it is not, He does not get wrathful at people. He gets wrathful at wickedness. At vile deeds. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, notice this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So God's wrath is only exclusively poured out, concentrated on the wickedness and the evil deeds of mankind. Nahum, verse number, one, or, or, verse number 2 of chapter 1, the Bible says this, God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on His adversaries. Now notice this. And He reserveth wrath for His enemies. You know who the enemies of God are? Wicked people. Sinners. It's not good people that do bad things. That's you. Right? I'm a good person who occasionally messes up, and yet I am saved from the wrath to come. I'm a, 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 I'm a person who occasionally falters, and I'm, I'm probably the only one in the room, but occasionally, you ask my wife and my mother, my dad would probably not agree with this, but I do mess up! But I am spared from God's wrath because the evil man in me was forgiven at the cross of Calvary. No wicked deeds can be held over my head because now those have been cast as far as from the east as from the west. They're in the depths of the sea, as people put it, of God's forgetfulness. Now, my friend, I am clothed in the Son's righteousness. I am not wearing my old wicked robe, but every day I'm clothed in the wonderful linens of my Savior's perfect will and love for me. Well, that's good. But God's wrath is targeted. It's concentrated. And let's say something here. It's not targeted at homosexual people. For some reason, that's what people in the Christian church want to think. No, it's not targeted at homosexual people. There's a whole bunch of people that are heterosexual that will be in the wrath of God. Anybody that abuses God's will for them on this earth, anybody that says, rejects the Lord Jesus Christ and the conviction of the Holy Spirit and rejects God's law, you know what they'll have to face one day? The wrath of God. So it is concentrated. Oftentimes ours is not. Sometimes our wrath is because our wife doesn't get our sweet tea cold enough before she brings it. Sometimes our wrath is because there's too much salt in our eggs. Sometimes our wrath is because the kids dumped all the toilet paper in the, in, in, in the toilet. Sometimes our wrath is because uh, uh, the horse doesn't quite do what we want it to. No, 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 no. Those are not situations to get wrathful. Your anger ought not boil over in those situations. The moment it does, it's sin. Our anger should be contained and it should be pointed at wicked deeds, not at good people doing dumb things. God's wrath is concentrated. Secondly, it's correct. His wrath is always correct. The Bible says that God is the righteous judge. That means that God cannot make a judgment that is unrighteous. 
You know, uh, a while back there was a TV show made called How to Make a Murderer, right? And it was on Netflix, and the whole show was about trying to figure out who murdered this young lady. And to this day, there's people dispute whether it was this guy or this guy or this guy. You know why? Because the judge on the case is not a righteous judge. But the day that my Lord makes a judgment, there will be no one there to question Him, because His judgment will be right. God will always be right. And in this situation, His judgment is righteous. So as He pours out His wrath upon people, and the world can say whatever they want, oh, nobody, uh, nobody deserves an eternal punishment for a, a, a momentary failure. They can say what they want, but in their minds they're rationalizing. The Bible declares, and God declares, He is always right. And so, would you say that you are always right in your judgments? I mean, I'm pretty close to batting a thousand, but I would say I'm off a few ticks. I kind of lump myself in with these type of people here. I was reading some customer service complaints earlier today, and I want to share them with you. There was a man who sent his watch back for poor quality in their workmanship, and he said, I thought you advertised quality materials. My dog chewed it up in no time. He expected a replacement watch. I liked the, the lady who called the utility company and complained about their uh, uh, customer service being too friendly, and she stated that they should spend less money on training their customer service folks and, and pass those savings on to the customer. Foolish. Uh, uh, people can complain. People's judgments are not always right. And I like this guy because this guy sounds like me. There was a man who went to a, a, a department store, or what department store sell clothing? It was like an electronic store, an appliance store, and bought the biggest and the best TV. He got it home and he noticed the picture didn't quite look the same as it did in the store, and he thought it was a little blurry and a little hazy. It wasn't quite as sharp. He took the TV back and said, I want a refund, and I want a different TV. And they said, well, sir, you do realize there's a screen protector on it, right? <laughs> and he demanded that they give him a refund because they uh, did not inform him he would have to go through the labor of removing the screen protector. As you know, those people are a little bit crazy, but we probably aren't far, far off of them. You ever said something and immediately realized, that was a really dumb thing to say. Have you ever done that? I tell you, man, I've made mistakes. No words, come back, delete, delete, backspace. You ever done that? Boy, I've done that. Our judgments are not always right. And so we cannot pour our wrath about on people when there's a chance, they may not be deserving of it. Somebody may offend you, but until you're ready to understand their reasoning and understand their logic and understand what they were trying to accomplish and, and try to get in their mind and see, you know, we got to be swift to hear. we got to say, hey, what went on there? Until we are willing to do that and until we're willing to diffuse the situation, we should have no right to spill our wrath out Upon anyone. There's here, the first devil's delight is anger. The second devil's delight is wrath. Thirdly, in verse 8, we find malice. Now these are progressive in nature. Right? All of these start out as just simple anger. 
and they boil over into wrath, usually a pointed time where wrath can be pointed to. And then thirdly, it becomes in that person malice. What is malice? Well, it's a malicious intent. It is cheering when another fails. It is hoping that someone does not succeed. It is reveling in people's catastrophes and glorying in their most glorious failures. That is malice. You say, Brother Andrew, there's no way that would be in the church. There's no way that someone... I I know of people who have cheered for people to leave this church. So they can go find somewhere else, but it's uncomfortable when I come to church and they're there too. Boy, I I would sure hate for somebody to get in your way of the gospel. I would sure sure hope that someone in this room would say... Yeah, and I personally am of the persuasion there's not a more qualified church in Johnson County to minister to people. Whether that's help them learn uh, the Bible or whether that's to help them through troubled times. I am of the persuasion that we are the best church in the world or else I wouldn't be in it. So I couldn't imagine thinking, well, I just hope they don't come back anymore. Well, they just, just don't fit in with us. I, I hope that isn't anybody. But you know what that is? That's malice. That is an attitude of aggressive nature, an attitude of anger constantly infiltrating a person's life. You see, malice is always contradictory to the way our Savior would behave. Take your Bibles to Titus. I want to share this with you. We're getting close to being done. I took up far too much of your time last week, so I won't take as much up this week. Titus chapter uh, number 3. The Bible says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures. Notice, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Does that kind of sound like the same subject matter we're talking about tonight? Hating one another. Notice this, but... After that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. (laughs) Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You see, the way you behave as a Christian cannot be removed from your Christian experience. Every time you go to get angry at somebody, you got to remember the time when you confessed to God and said, God, you have every right in the world to be angry at me, but for some reason you favored me, and for some reason you loved me, and I don't understand why you would look on me with any type of compassion or charity, God, but you gave your son so that I would not have to suffer your wrath. God, I love you. Save, my, save me from my sins. And every time you're in a situation... When anger boils over to wrath and it starts to become malice in your life, you know what you ought to remember? You were undeserving of God's compassion. And yet He loved you. But after that, the kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared unto man. So every time you, you go to think... And we, when we pour out our wrath and we begin to get a malicious spirit in our heart, you know what's happening? 
We're becoming less like Jesus every day. You know what the Bible says? Jesus was a man who, when He was reviled, He reviled not again. Men spit upon Him, men cursed Him, men mocked Him, and Isaiah chapter 53 tells us, and He opened not His mouth. The same man who we claim to love and serve and we claim as our Lord and Master is the same man who was hung upon a cross by a whole bunch of people shouting, Crucify! And at the end of that day, you know what his final words were? Father, forgive them! For they know not what they do. Wouldn't it be a special thing if our church was was great at passing over problems, was getting over differences, and just looking at one another and saying, man, I can forgive you, Josh, because Christ forgave me, and I know how to forgive because I've experienced true forgiveness. Boy, that's good. I hope you're enjoying this. I'm, I'm enjoying talking about it, but you don't have to. Whatever, you can do whatever you want. But it is contradictory when we behave with malicious intent. It looks nothing like Jesus Christ. Not only is it contradictory, it is consuming. You know what happens? You get angry at somebody and it goes unresolved in your life. And then one day you get in a situation where the person you're angry at may not even realize it, but they do something that is questionable. And your wrath boils over. And then you go home and you just dwell on that one deed. I can't believe they would say that. I can't believe they would compliment my dress and say it was blue when it was obviously gold. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, okay. I cannot believe they would say that. And anger becomes wrath. And my mom's trying to explain it to my dad. Dad, we'll show you. We'll show you the picture afterward. You'll understand. <laughs> yeah, we're, I'm not making fun of you, but I, I this morning with the white hats, that's how I felt sitting back there. I'm like, white hats and Dodge. I don't even know what's going on. But anyway, so that's good. But anger becomes wrath that eventually becomes malice in a person's life. And when it gets to this stage, you cannot save yourself from it. It is consuming. In fact, people will come to church, not with this thought, boy, I am excited to go to church today. They'll come to church with this thought, I hope I don't see that person. If they walk down that hall, honey, don't park on this side of the church because that's the side of the church this person uses. I'm going to park on the other side. And what started so innocently as anger has now gone to a place where the Bible says, Christian, you don't want to be. Put it off. Get rid of it because it doesn't look like Jesus and it is all consuming in your life. The Bible really doesn't say that much about malice other than it belongs in this category. But it does say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. Brethren, and it's unique because 1 Corinthians 14 has nothing to do with malice and nothing to do with anger. In fact, it has to do with the gift of tongues and trying to figure out how it is to be used in the church. Now verse 20 says, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Out of nowhere it says we ought to be like kids when it comes to malicious intent towards one another. 
Now, I don't really know what the Bible's trying to say here, but I'll give you what I think it's trying to say, and you can tell me I'm wrong if you want, or you can just keep it to yourself if you want to. That'd be fine. But this is what I think it is. Today, we were over at my parents' house, and Caitlin and Ben were playing together, and someone, I don't know who, bought them golf clubs. Um, And uh, it was an awful idea. Instead of hitting the ball, what do they do? They hit each other. And there Ben was, and I, Craig told me when we were at the dinner table, Caitlin comes in, and I'm like, Amy, don't let her do that. Don't let her come in here and start complaining and make Ben the villain when probably she had just as much hand in it as he did. Don't let her do that. Ben, or Craig goes, yeah, when I walked in earlier, uh, uh, Ben was down on the ground and Caitlin was just wailing on him. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I love it. You know, swing right, swing left, lumberjack style, yes. And that specific time there at the table when I was there, Ben had just hit Caitlin on the leg. And, uh, you know, that could pretty much be interpreted as ill will. I mean, that could be some intent there. Miss Mary, if somebody brought a club back to the nursery and hit you with it, do you think you could interpret that as an aggressive action? Right? I think it could be interpreted that way. And yet, you know what Caitlin will do tonight when she goes to bed? Laura will be with Paul and Grana and Mandy and Cray and Ben. She passes right over it. She doesn't even remember it. All she's looking forward is to the next day when hopefully she can see Ben and Ia. Yeah. You say, Brother Andrew, that's not what it means. Give me a better idea of what it means. In malice, be like children. Have you ever met a malicious... I mean, Ben, don't, don't talk about Ben, but have you, ever met a, <laughs> have you ever met a kid that was set out to hurt everybody and just, just, just cause problems? Man, that's not the way kids are. Kids are looking for the next toy. They're looking for the next day. They get to go to the playground. In malice, be ye like children, but in understanding, be like men. Boy, that's a pretty great lesson for us adults. I wonder why Christ looked at a bunch of kids and says, now this is how the kingdom of heaven is. You and your uppity religion, you look around as if you are comparing yourself to other people, and yet this kid doesn't compare himself with this kid. They just, they just love me, and that's heaven. Yeah. Man, you ought not have malice towards anybody. We ought not have malice towards sinners. We ought not be malicious towards Brother Obama. We ought to pray for him. We ask the Lord to turn his heart around. We ought, we ought not be malicious towards Hillary. Look, sinners sin. I, I hate to break it to you. That's what makes them sinners. Right? A hamburger's made of ham. That's why. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It doesn't work that way. Look, we ought I <laughs> like some of y'all are like, you're so moronic, Brother Andrew. I don't even know. Right? Sinners sin. And we ought not be malicious towards them. God's never malicious towards them. But He does get angry at sin. And His wrath does pour, pour out upon sin. But He's the only one qualified for that. And here's what happens in our life. Anger turns to wrath. 
which becomes an all-consuming uh, 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 malice. And then it is all we can see. One day my parents and, uh, had bought tickets to the ranch rodeo in Fort Worth at Will Rogers Coliseum. And it was honestly the, my favorite rodeo I've ever been to. Because the Cowboys were very talented. That's all great, you know. I went to the PBR a couple of times and watched those guys, and those guys are good. But there's something special about the ranch rodeo because it's more practical application stuff. But the best part of the rodeo is the wild cow milking contest. Does that not sound awesome? These cowboys as a team, you know, they're divided in ranches. They work together every day and then they have to come out there. They turn loose in the arena a wild cow. Some of these cows have visited insane asylums, okay? That's the ones they feed inmates at insane asylums. It's these crazy, crazy cows. They turn them loose, and even before a cowboy gets in the arena, the cow is going insane. Because there's a huge amount of people there. The cow hates people, you know. It's used to these open pastures where even if it's not open, it creates an opening in the fence, you know what I mean? Wild cows. And this is what the cowboys have to do. Milk the cow. They have to rope the cow. And, and you know, small calves and steers, you can just take and flip them over. You can't do that with a, a thousand pound cow. So the cow has to stand up while milking it. So as one cowboy gets ropes the cow, the other cowboy gets on the head of the cow, another cowboy gets on the tail of the cow, and they've got it just like in a straight jacket of cowboys. And one unlucky fella, and I don't know if this is the greenhorn, I don't know what moron would volunteer for this. One of them has to take a, a bottle under there and just start going to town. Can you imagine the reaction of this cow? It doesn't like looking at people, much less have people tugging on its udders. Y'all didn't think I was going to say it, did you? I said udders. And there that cowboy is. Whoop, whoop. Whoa! And that cow's kicking the bucket. I loved it. One day a cowboy took the tail and was like pumping it like a whale house. We lost it. We started going to this thing every year and I looked forward to the wild cow milking contest. It was amazing. And the one year we bought tickets and I don't know how this happened. We got seated right behind a pillar. And dad, bless his heart, is such a champion for the Lord. You know, like on the flight back from Hawaii, he's the one that sits in the smallest seat. Y'all wonder why his health is the way it is? Because we've put him in some pretty bad spots. <laughs> he sits on the back of the four-wheeler in the Rocky Mountains just to break his back. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we put him in some pretty bad spots. Well, we're right behind this pillar, and one of the seats, you can't even get a glimpse of the arena. And there my dad is, sitting behind the pillar. Everybody else is, <laughs> Whoa, look at that! And dad's like, Lord, save me from my children. Couldn't even see the arena. You want to know how malice is? You're in the midst 
of so many people having a great time serving the Lord and their old malice is. It's all you can see. It's all you can focus on. And while you would love to just kind of be able to get rid of it and just everybody else looks so happy serving the Lord and everybody else is so excited about the carnival coming up this weekend, but all you can concentrate is on how much you hate the bus driver. What a shame. Listen to me. Our church will have its hands tied for Jesus Christ the moment we start getting malicious towards one another. The moment when we just don't say, you know what, if that's the way it is, brother, I'll, I'll pray for you. I hope, I hope it all goes well. Or, you know, I know you didn't mean to offend me. That's, that's all right. I'll, I'll look over this. The moment we start forgiving one another and like the church and Acts, just kind of having all things in common. You know what all things they had in common? They loved God with all their heart and that was the only priority they had. When we get to that point as a church, we just love Jesus. We just love serving Jesus. And when something's up here at the church, we just start showing up. Even if it doesn't sound interesting, we just are here. We love the Lord and we have all things in common. When we get to that point, that's when the church will do great things. But until we get rid of our petty differences... Get rid of the things and we look at our other people across the other room and say, oh, I can't believe she'd wear that. Oh, I can't believe he would say that. Until we get rid of those things and we just start loving Jesus together and serving Jesus and preaching the gospel to, lo- to lost people and expecting people that are lost to come to the church and kind of look a little lost, until we start doing that, hands are tied. You know what the devil's doing? <laughs> I got him. Not fornication. Not inordinate affection. No, none of those, none of those vile things, none of those, none of the wicked things you would think of. Anger. Anger at one another. Wrath. Pointed examples of spilling over and being hateful and spiteful towards one another. And he sits down in heaven. Huh, I've got a malice. It's all they can focus on. They would love to pull together as a team and bring a whole bunch of little boys and little girls to church where they can't because one guy hates the other guy and this bus driver can't serve with this bus captain and and until I got them right where I want them and Christ sits in heaven. What is my church doing? You mean to tell me I forgave them of what they had done for me and they can't look across the table and forgive one another? We're We're just servants to devil's dirty delights.